Hello and welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Jackson, and it's my mission to share the science of human behaviour in a practical, fun and inspiring way. In each podcast episode, I interview an expert from the fields of psychology, well-being, leadership, parenting or high performance. I pick their brain to uncover what they know about living well, what tips do they have for you and I, and I quiz them about how they apply their expertise in their own life. Join me as we discover simple, science-backed ways to live, learn, flourish, and fulfil your potential. Hello, and welcome back to the Potential Psychology Podcast. This is Season 5. Can you believe it? And the first episode of our second year on air. And while we're away on our Between Seasons break, we received some very exciting news. The Potential Psychology podcast has been named as one of six finalists in the Best New Podcaster category of the Australian Podcast Awards for 2019. So these are podcasts that have started in the past 12 months. So we only just snuck in and they're independent of any commercial government or community institution or media network. And they must be the podcaster's first effort at podcasting or spoken word audio. So they're the criteria for the best new podcaster category. And we fit all of those criteria and we were very happily named as one of the six finalists. And I can't tell you how excited I was when I got this news in an email just before I went into a client meeting a couple of weeks ago, or indeed how distracted I was when I was in that client meeting. So it's bad timing from that perspective. But I've been reflecting since then on why this nomination feels so good. And I guess it's partly because it's always nice to win something, even if we haven't actually won. Just being named as one of the six finalists feels like a huge win as a newbie podcast. But it's also really nice to receive some recognition for the hard work that the team and I've put into creating the podcast because it is a big labour of love. <laughs> but there's something more than that even. And I've had a few people ask me recently what my goals are for the podcast. And I guess my goals include creating interesting and practical conversations about well-being and positive mental health and fulfilling our potential. That was always part of the aim. And in doing that, giving you the expert tips and knowledge and perhaps resources that you might need to live a life that's bigger and fitter and faster and stronger and happier. That was also an important part, one of the you know key drivers for starting the podcast. And my goals also include providing a wonderful experts with a platform for talking about their work outside of their usual field and being able to do that in a way that's perhaps a bit more nuanced and in greater depth than the sound bites or the snippets that you might get from traditional media. But beyond all of that, I've realised that I kind of don't have any specific goals for the podcast, that my enjoyment from it my enjoyment of it comes from learning from others and sharing that with you, but also just the whole adventure of it. It's the not knowingness. It's a kind of spirit of 
I don't know what's going to happen. Let's just try it and see and see where it takes me and see what opportunities unfold. And that's been a big part of the realisation for me is just kind of stepping into the unknown and seeing how much I actually enjoy that. It's exciting. And I think receiving this nomination is just part of that big adventure. It's not something I ever would have anticipated happening. And it's kind of just the next step on the let's just see what's going to happen adventure that we're taking. So in the spirit of reflecting on what I've learned, it's I guess that pursuing something sometimes just for the fun of it or the adventure or the not knowingness can not only be a really thrilling experience, but an informative experience that we don't need to know where we're going sometimes to enjoy the ride and that maybe, just maybe, when we do try something new, something different that we try just for the adventure of it, we can find a path that is fulfilling and exciting and satisfying and gratifying that we didn't know we were meant to be on, a path that we just didn't realise was our path until we started down it. So if that's you, if you are contemplating a big adventure, something new, a change, something different, a new project, a new enterprise, whatever that may be in whatever field of your life, then I'd encourage you to give it a go. Just take the adventure see where it unfolds and how it unfolds, see where it takes you. Because I think when we do those things from a place of belief and conviction and passion and willingness just to try, it does teach us so much about ourselves and what we're good at and perhaps what we're not always so good at and where we're meant to be and and what makes us happy. So go forth and have a go, be courageous. If you're a podcast fan, and I'm guessing that you are because you're listening to this one, you can see all the finalists for the Australian Podcast Awards at australianpodcastawards.com. And the winners are going to be announced at an awards ceremony in Sydney on May the 18th. So I am shortly going to book some flights and um, maybe find myself a frock. Okay, let's move on to our first interview for season five, and we're talking about resilience. So perhaps the kind of resilience that you need to start down a new path or an uncertain path, and to maybe think about all of those difficult and uncomfortable feelings that come from that, that come from the not knowingness as helpful rather than as a challenge or a hindrance. It is my great pleasure to have with me today Associate Professor Brock Bastian from the University of Melbourne. And Brock is a researcher, a practitioner and an author. His research focuses on issues related to ethics and well-being, and his passion is connecting the more abstract ideas that he works with in his research to the everyday problems and issues that people and organisations face. In his practice as a psychologist, Brock sees private clients dealing with a range of mental health and wellbeing issues. And in his role as a consultant to organisations, he assists with issues related to ethics, wellbeing and organisational culture. And Brock is here with me today to talk about the resilience paradox and why we often get resilience wrong. Welcome, Brock. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, great to be on the show. It's great to have you here. And 
as I was just saying to you off air, I read an article of yours recently in Psychology Today regarding this very topic, the resilience paradox. And it really, uh, I'll use an over used phrase resonated with me I found yeah. it you know interesting yeah. and and also really useful and I thought it would be something that our listeners could perhaps really benefit from a, a deeper mm. more evidence-based understanding of what resilience is so yeah. I'll ask the opening the obvious opening question which is what is the resilience paradox yeah I like I guess I coined that uh, that term just to try and describe what I see is a, dis- a, a divide or a distinction between what it uh, what it looks like to be resilient and how we build or develop resilience. And so, people who uh, are resilient tend to remain calm, tend to be able to uh, deal with obstacles in life well. They they do bounce off things well, but not you know not with too many waves. They they sort of manage life well. And so, this this sort of uh, I guess persona that we observe when we look at someone who has resilience is. I guess the, the thing that we want to achieve, and so we might have trying to try and achieve that through building those sorts of calm qualities, trying to engage those sorts of abilities to remain calm. But I think one of the things that that we often forget in that space is that actually that's not how we build resilience. Resilience is built through exposure to difficulty, and that 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 in fact means sometimes feeling that difficulty and experiencing it fully. I don't think that you can build resilience if you don't really experience difficulty in life. So it means getting it wrong, falling over, failing, you know, feeling feeling overwhelmed sometimes. Um, and it's only through those experiences that you you really sort of learn or develop that capacity to to respond well next time. And so I think we, you know, but, but one of the one of the struggles is we often think in those moments that um, you know, our failure to be resilient or that that exposure or experience of ourselves is not not coping like we think we should if we were resilient, we, we often get down on ourselves for that or perhaps, you know, start to think that we're, we're not doing a good job of life because we seem to be struggling a little bit. But, you know, the whole time we're really getting a little bit stronger as well. Okay. So it, it's sort of a maybe a, a bit of a misunderstanding of what resilience is and how we get there. We like to want to yeah. jump to the end point and say, oh, this resilient person looks so calm, they look so in control. Maybe I just mm-hmm. need to feel calm and in control or at least look like I'm calm and in control and therefore I'll be more resilient. Yeah. But you're saying we're missing all the important steps of, of how that person got to be there in the first place. Yeah, that's right. And I think I think one of the thing, one of the reasons for that as well is the research really hasn't provided us very much evidence of that yet. So uh, most of the research on resilience talks about, if you if you look at it, it's all about individual characteristics or individual predispositions that, that make people resilient. So okay. these factors are background factors. Um, so the idea of how we might we 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 know what kind of people um, are likely to be resilient. What we don't know is how they built that resilience in the first place. Obviously, there are some people who are naturally more resilient than others, and and probably that's the extent of what we really know at the moment is who are the people who are naturally more resilient. What we haven't really examined is that dynamic process of being exposed to setbacks, everyday hassles, failures, things like that in life, and how that then feeds into a dynamic and developable process where you actually build resilience. And so this is one of the things that um, many resilience researchers around the world are now calling for is a better understanding of how this actually works. But one thing we do certainly know is if, if we are going to build resilience, it's probably not through just pleasant, easy, laid-back times it's probably going to be through the hardships that that resilience is getting getting built and we're we're yet to really understand all the processes involved okay now that's really interesting because obviously resilience Mm. has been 
a particularly hot topic in schools, in education, mm. in workplaces, yeah. online, through yeah. the media. You know, there, there's a lot of supposed tips, strategies, processes that we should undertake in order to make yeah. us more resilient. But what you're suggesting is that whilst we might know that there are personality characteristics or, or other things that, mm. you know, we could sort of say, well, that's what an, a, a resilient person looks like, we actually don't know much about how to develop that resilience. No, there's not much, there's not much science out there at this point. You know, we, we know some basic things, but there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to be done and a lot more work to be done. And I think, again, that's um, our misunderstanding of you know, what resilience is comes a little bit from, I think, just a lack of research around that aspect of resilience, how to build it. Mm. Um, yeah. So how do you define resilience then? How do the researchers define resilience? Well, I think I think the definition of what it is is pretty, pretty straightforward. It's the ability to deal with setbacks in life well, the ability to bounce off, you know, difficult times. Yep. I think that's that's quite obvious and, and I think that's absolutely true. That's what that's what it is, what it's what it describes. Yeah, I, I guess it's it's really the, more the point of of how that is developed and how people come to be able to do that. Um, and so, one of the things that I think is really important in there, again, as I said before, really, is just that exposure, the exposure to those very circumstances themselves. If you if you aren't exposed to, if you, if you haven't had a, a you know a difficult failure in life, then your first failure will be more difficult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not it's not possible to develop that that I guess that toughness or that. that ability to respond well as before. So I know we'll have a lot of parents listening who are obviously going to be interested in helping sure. their children to develop resiliency, mm -hmm. you know, as, as a protection for the things yeah. that will occur in, later in life or at some stage during their life. What yeah. does the current research suggest or what do you think yeah. they need to be doing, you know, in order to help? Yeah, it's a really tricky question. I'm a parent as well, and uh, and I think you know I could target this uh, this whole thing at me as well. And, and <laughs> I think more and more. I mean, we, you know, we all look back at our childhoods and we go, "Well, the way we treat our children these days is a lot more protective than it used to be." Mm. Um, and we and, and and the reason, if you ask people, you know, what the reason for that is, most people will say, "Well, it's because the world is more dangerous today than it used to be." That actually blatantly isn't true. Mm. Um, the evidence is going the other direction. It's it's actually a safer. The world is safer now than it used to be. We're more aware, perhaps through television or other sort of forms of media, of the, the horrible, horrendous things that can happen to people out there. And, you know, we, we tend to give our, our children a shorter leash. And I think that is that is a, a problem. I think kids need that ability to take risks, to be at risk sometimes, obviously calculated and within reason. We don't want terrible things to ever happen or feel we've let that happen. But but we also have to make a careful judgment call about not overprotecting them either. And so we have these these notions of molly coddling around and helicopter parent and all all of these things have really emerged from that that tendency for parents to perhaps you know, overprotect a little bit their children and mm. try to try to see. And I think also there's you know there was a, there was a big focus on self esteem in the 1990s and 80s and this idea that the you know, the, the best thing for children was to build their, their self-esteem. But, um, you know, that sort of, if anything, didn't seem that the evidence there wasn't great. It didn't show that actually people were better off because they had this, we, we bolstered their self-esteem. In fact, if anything, they became a little more entitled. Mm. Um, so, so that, you know, just bolstering people's self-esteem isn't, isn't also the best way to build well-being and resilience either. Yeah. Mm. And what, so this is uh, because... <laughs> You know, from my understanding and my reading and, and also my mm. practice as a parent, you know, I, I yeah. completely agree that 
we need to take these calculated risks. And I, I find it interesting, but I know that it is so real for people, this fear that the world is somehow more dangerous. And I know you yeah. said that the media probably plays a part in that, that we're just a lot more aware. But are there other factors, yeah. do you think? Are there other social or, or cultural factors that are, are coming into play here that are making us so anxious about what could happen instead of looking at realistically mm. at what does happen? Yeah, well, it's a good question and I don't have a really straightforward answer to it. Maybe our own resilience is a little bit less than it used to be as well. You know, maybe maybe our parents were a little bit more resilient to the possibilities of things that might happen than we are. Mm. I don't know. I, I do think that we, you know, we certainly like to have a life which is fairly predictable and without any, you know, uh, upsets or uh, surprises, if you like, and, and, and I think more and more we are able to achieve that. So possibly in part, you know, mm. we, we like to think across the board that we can prevent these sorts of things from happening and, and that if these things do happen, it's, it's you know, it should have been avoided. Mm. So, mm. look, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line to walk and it's a difficult one to know exactly how to get it right. You know, we used to live about 400 metres from our girls' school when they were eight and really they probably should be able to walk to school on their own, but um, we still haven't let them do that yet. So we, we, I'm as much, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm the I'm, 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 Self-analyzing as part of this process. I'm right up there with the rest of the protective parents. Um, so yeah, it's it's just it's it's an interesting thing to reflect on. I think, and I, I guess if we're reflecting on it, that's the main point. I think we can be aware of it, and re- also just recognise uh, that there is some value when our when our children do um, fail, or uh, you know, when they maybe experience some difficult social you know interactions, that, that they are learning. They are learning in that space, and they're developing, and they're actually developing some really positive abilities in that space mm. that maybe helps us to deal with that better helps us to show them how to deal with that better too mm. and I think that is something certainly for me as a parent I have found mm. helps me is, is to be able to reframe it in that way and to say mm. if you could because it's about me feeling vulnerable you know as a parent yeah. and, and then I would lock them up and never let them do anything so that I yeah, know that exactly. they're safe yeah. but it, this is not about a, me you know my, my job on. as a parent yeah. is not about me my job is mm. about them and, mm. yes, giving them opportunity. So being able to reframe yeah. it in my own mind to say, look, if my 10-year-old, I've got a, a 10 and a half-year-old and he's just spent mm. the summer out on his bike, you know, catching up mm. with his mates, which is one of the glorious things about living in a regional area yeah. is that they still do those sorts of things. Um, yeah. And although that in some ways is kind of scary because your mind does go to all the what-ifs, you know, yes. there's roads, there's cars, they go down the mountain bike tracks, they fall off, they come home yeah. beaten up a bit. And there's yeah. always that kind of what if at the back of my mind. But I, I then mm. look at his face and I just go, oh my God, he's just had the best ever day. Yeah. And he's yeah. probably learnt the hard way about which hills he can go down fast and which he can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's taking responsibility for that as mm. well, which is such a big thing. You know, we, we've stepped aside and let, let them take that responsibility. That's, that's, I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. yeah we, 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 part, of, part of it is getting better at regulating our own exposure to these negative experiences too yeah yeah yeah. so that's parenting what about things like workplaces I know you do work in workplaces Mm. how does this stuff play out in a work environment yeah I mean workplaces often involve stress and difficulty and you know difficult people as well and hard you know there's there's there's, you know that's why it's called work right (laughs) work if it wasn't at least somewhat uncomfortable um and I, I and I suppose really a lot of a lot of you know, if you want to uh, progress your career, you know, you sometimes have to engage in things which make you feel fearful or worried or um, un- un- perhaps unsettled. 
So, and these, you know, recognizing that, you know, that, that engaging with those sorts of experiences in the workplace, pushing yourself to to places where sometimes you feel a little bit uncomfortable is is an important part of again developing the ability to move forward. I mean, if you don't if you don't embrace some of those risks, you don't move forward in your career. You're not able to progress. Um, but also recognizing that when things go wrong, when when you know when you try and you you expose yourself to something novel and you know you fall flat and fail, that well that was unpleasant and you probably would prefer it didn't happen. But you're learning the whole time and you're building up the ability to think, well, I can do that again. You know, I, I cope this time, I can cope next time. If the worst case happens, so I'll try. You know, mm. I'll give it a shot. So I think again, a lot of a lot of people are perhaps not able to progress through life or including in work in the ways they would want if they're avoiding all the all the potential risks or or I guess are focused on all those possible threats rather than understanding these things that can be valuable challenges that can build and expand and yeah, expose us to situations that we might find uncomfortable but, but, but grow from. Um, mm. Yeah. So that's where, and, and growth, I suppose, is that, you know, is growth mm. part of resilience? Well, I guess if you're growing resilience, yes, it, uh, it is. That's right. And I think exactly. So I, I, I guess if it's, a, if it's a dynamic and developable process, then, then you're growing uh, as part of that process, yeah. Mm. So that's one element. What else do we need to be doing or should we be doing either as adults ourselves because this is you know a lifelong journey to use another hackneyed phrase and also potentially as parents to help us all become more resilient there's there's trying and testing new things there's exposing ourselves to a bit of risk what else do we need to be doing yeah well I mean I I think it's important to note the way this works and and what we know is that it's not necessarily that you know that all exposure is good or that you know being I think if obviously people get traumatized by situations Mm. frequently, and and that's not, I think, helpful to be traumatized. I mean, people can turn it around, they can certainly turn around those experiences um, and make you know turn them into something which they grow from, but it may not be what you would choose to do. So, in a sense, it's understanding that there is a you know, that I guess a sweet spot in here, a little bit like an inverted U, where you know it's, it's that moderate exposure, which often is what's needed, not not too much, but also not too little. Mm-hmm. But also that, that 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 inverted U shifts one way or the other, depending on how we think about it and how we approach those situations. So, I think that you know, the way that we we think about situations again, if we're focused on the, the threats involved in the situation, if we're sensitive to those, and we'll see the situation as difficult or as unlikely, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably shy away from it or we'll respond to any kind of failure or difficulty that presents itself badly. But if we see it as a challenge, and again, that's I think a lot of this is is about mindset and being able to change how we how we view those situations. Um, if we if we focus on these situations is more of a challenge and see some of those those potentials for growth in those situations. And I think that, yeah, we can respond much better, build and grow from them much more easily, handle them much more much more easily as well. And there is, you know, this this whole challenge and, and uh, threat uh, distinction, it, it, it drills right down into, into neurobiology as well. So we, we know that, again, when people are exposed to things, you know, certain difficulties, when they, when they see or experience that as a challenge, it's more likely to release uh, adrenaline. And so this allows people to respond more effectively. In fact, studies in rats have, have shown that exposure increases the strength of the, the adrenal gland. Um, and that it, it's, I guess it's a little bit like a, an athlete who trains. You know, the, the more that you're exposed to something, the better you get at responding to it. But again, if you go over the top and it turns into the release of cortisol, which is what happens when we feel too stressed, 
then that, that you know doesn't necessarily help and starts to degrade and, and actually is harmful for our health more generally. So there's there's yeah I mean there's underlying neurobiology which helps to to I guess articulate that that inverted U um, in in terms of how and to what extent and and also I guess thinking about the ways in which we can shift things further into the challenge framework versus the threat framework. As well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so how, you know, if, if you're working with an individual, say, and they're, they're mm. trying to wrap their head around this idea that, okay, mm. I can see that, and I think understanding that neurobiology helps because yeah. if you imagine it as, okay, if I, I can push myself to a point and that's yeah. releasing that adrenaline, it's, it's helping me to cope, it's helping me to, you know, think faster, move yeah. faster, do whatever I need to do in this challenge. But if I get beyond a point for me of kind of maximum return, I suppose, you know, yeah. getting to those diminishing returns of, okay, now I'm, I'm releasing cortisol and I'm stressed. Yeah. yeah. How would you help somebody at an individual level to kind of understand where that point might be for them? Yeah, well, I suppose I, su- I suppose it's about being aware of, our, of how we're feeling and how we're responding. So I think that the self-awareness there is really important to know that, you know, is this, is this feeling good? Does it feel like I'm, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable, but I, I also feel capable. And, mm. and, and one, of the, one of the predictors of whether we see something as a challenge or a threat is whether we feel we've got the resources to cope with that situation or if we don't. So that also gives an insight into how you might, how you might adjust your approach. If we think about how we can build our personal resources that means that more situations uh, will be experienced as challenging than, than, than threatening. We feel that we've got those, those resources there to cope. So I guess that's one, you know, being being aware of our responses, but also being aware of what we can do. And, and I guess also understanding that, you know, that these emotions that we feel, anxiety or threat or stress, these things are also, they're motivations as well as, you know, emotions are motivational as well as emotional. And so understanding that you can counteract an emotion at a motivational level is really important too. So if you step into an emotion which says get away, you know, run, if you feel threatened but you step towards that thing because you've perhaps yourself determined that the threat is perhaps something you can handle and you, as you step towards that, it, actually, it starts to ameliorate the effect of that emotion. You feel it less. You know, so as you're walking towards something, it feels it's very hard to feel threatened by it if you started to sort of behave in a different way or, you know, in a counteractive sort of way. So I think understanding that, you know, again, walking towards some of those things or, or engaging in those things also helps to, be, you know, to, to unpack that feeling of threat in there as well. So you sort of do develop, I'm, I'm imagining a kind of toolkit, I suppose, of, hmm. you know, or hmm. a little bucket of resources that we carry around with us as we get yeah. tested by challenges. If, if we dip our toe into perhaps something that feels uncomfortable where we think, oh, I don't know if this is right for me. I don't know if I can do this. We dip our toe in. We go, okay, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. We've built up a little yeah. resource. We've put something in our bucket. We can take that. You know, yeah. It's like entering into the cold pool very slowly. That's right. Yeah, and exactly. getting to a point perhaps where we feel like, okay, I, I yeah. can do this. I can dive in. Yeah, yeah that's right. And and I think, I think, again, also just being aware that sometimes, you know, it's very easy to paint negative outcomes as simply negative and and so we see we see instances of failure as, as detracting from our life we see negative emotions as interrupting our ability to be happy and and when it, when those things are framed in that way it's, it's very hard to to see these nuances or to see these i guess these positive side of those experiences so also approaching these things differently not not through a framework of saying look I, you know, this is how i want to feel and this is how I'm feeling now, which means that it's attracting from how I'd like to be. 
but recognizing that feeling that way, failing that, that having these having these unpleasant things, that even if we wouldn't have chosen them, there, there is another side to those experiences which is actually quite beneficial for us and allows and releases a number of positive things in our life. And I think again, reminding ourselves of that perspective, and so I think it's a perspective which often gets lost a lot in the in, in the conversation mm. Um, mm. because we do focus on those more pleasant experiences in life as desirable as things you want to build, and that, that's absolutely true. But sometimes building those those positive and pleasant experiences requires that we actually know what it's like or experience those other those other sorts of emotions and events as well. Mm. Yeah, I think it is perhaps the difference between seeing things. I guess we all have a tendency to see things sometimes as either all good or all bad or all black or all white yeah. or all positive yeah. or all negative. But in actual fact, most of life is somewhere in between in the shades yes. of grey. And that sometimes yeah, we can't, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, it's, it is a little like, well, really any kind of relationship. I was going to say being a parent, but really any kind of relationship, you know, you enter into a relationship and, and yes, it brings lots of positive feelings, but often it brings lots of uncomfortable mm. feelings as well. Yeah. And if yeah. we don't ever take that step or, or take that risk and make ourselves a little bit vulnerable, then we don't get the positives that come with yeah. the challenges. Absolutely. I think relationships are a great example of that because, I mean, yeah, you, you have to be vulnerable in a relationship in order to really engage in it and get any enjoyment out of it. But if you try and protect yourself from that vulnerability, you, you kill the relationship immediately. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's I think it's the same with a lot of different things in life, that it is sometimes being vulnerable or exposing ourselves to those negative experiences, which actually gives us the capacity to experience the, the positive ones. You know, again, if you were to engage in something difficult that you you were assured of not failing, well, firstly, it wouldn't be difficult because you know you would not fail and mm. you wouldn't feel a sense of achievement because you would, you know, you knew that you were going to pass or to achieve what you want in your goals. Um, so, so we, we actually seek out, in fact, we, we, we regularly, a, a lot of our, our human behaviour is predicted by um, counter-hedonic motivations. We're often seeking out unpleasant experiences in life because we enjoy the challenge of them, because we enjoy the you know the way that they push us, because we, we get enjoyment from those experiences as well as the positive ones. Mm. Um, mm. So I, mean, I think, it's, again, we just forget that often. Yeah, that, that is a really good point. You know, I think about so many people I know who have, for example, set themselves a goal of, a, of running, say, a half marathon or a marathon, yeah. And as a non-runner, I kind of think, oh my goodness, that that you know, mm. I have I have equal measure of sort of your nuts, and yeah. I have huge admiration for you. Yeah. And yeah. I can imagine yeah. that that's probably a, an example of that. I'm going to set myself a goal to do something that's going to really, really hurt. You know, I, this mm-hmm. may actually make me physically unwell, and yeah. I'm going to keep training for it, and I'm going to yeah. do it because I get something out of it that isn't necessarily an immediately well, not a, not a positive emotion in the moment. No, yeah. no. People, would, people wouldn't run marathons if they weren't painful. No, no, just, no. Maybe they wouldn't. It would be pointless. <laughs> be absolutely pointless. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of – when you start to sort of look at the, you know, the, the, the other side of the things that we actually really find enjoyable in life, these, these negative negatives are in there, what we call negative, these unpleasant mm. experiences mm. are in there. Um, and, and if it wasn't for those, then we wouldn't get the enjoyment we get from life anyway. And so, again, that's a, another frame to help us when, when we are exposed to these things, even when we, when we haven't chosen them, just to, to help to orient towards them in a more practical and a, a way which allows us to, to bounce off those well. And, again, that when we bounce off those things well, I think that's what builds resilience. You know, we, 
we've, we've come away from it feeling like we've been exposed to something which was challenging us, but we've, we've succeeded. And that builds a sense that we're capable, feeds into that other side of the equation, which is about our personal resources to cope in situations. You know? mm. Yeah, I can only imagine that once you have completed a marathon, you feel pretty invincible, at least for a short while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For those who have done it, I imagine that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. We'll, just, we'll just imagine it for other people. I can yeah, exactly. I can speak to being a, a small business owner and being self-employed yeah. because I think that is very much one of those, mm. you know, similar examples in that you are constantly, in some ways, struggling, yeah. but at the yeah. same time gaining something in terms of you know the motivation is completely different, yeah. the learning is completely different, the growth. Uh, even yeah. little wins feel so significant, I think, yeah. because of the challenge um, and, and what yeah. you've put into getting to that point. So Yeah, and yeah. you thumb your nose at security at somewhere along the way there too, yeah. right? I mean, you could take a much more secure job, but there's, there's a certain challenge and risk involved in business which people get enjoyment from. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. otherwise, I mean, it's one of those things, if, if it was... Well, it's not a rational thing to do because it makes absolutely no sense. But there's motivations and drivers and, and growth and opportunity mm. there that, you know, for those of us who just choose to take that path, um, obviously yeah. outweigh the, yeah. those risks and a willingness yeah. to be uncomfortable. So this you talk about the, the challenge mindset, and I'm guessing this is sort of what mm. we're talking about. It is actually an ability to frame our difficult things as challenges. Is that right? Yeah. So again, it's it's I think that you know that that can be facilitated. Um, yeah, exactly. It's it's about it's about seeing the challenge in situations rather than the threat. And again, mm. that's facilitated through a sense of our own capacity to cope, and that capacity to cope or our sense of it is built largely through exposure and experience. So again, we need to have those experiences and to have gone through them to to know that we've got that capacity to cope. And I guess it's also built from taking that that different perspective and, and understanding that um, these things actually provide us with some value as well. And perhaps perhaps less, you know, uh, there's probably a number of things in there, but one other one other I think aspect to it is is perhaps recognizing we can't control everything in life too. I think we, we often try to. Certainly, people try to sometimes control their internal states, and that doesn't work very well. Mm. So we have to let go. We have to learn to let go of some of those internal processes and those ideas of control but maybe maybe you know more broadly just recognizing that you know that we can we can influence things in life we can't control things and so when we when we, when we do anything we have to step back from that that desire to 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 control the, the possibility of negative outcomes in life step away from that and allow those possibilities to be there not not because we're irresponsible or not because you know we, we don't care for our, our own well-being or others but rather because it's actually really important, critically important. You know, one of, one of the things about people who, do, who suffer from depression is they don't take risks. They stop taking risks. Um, you know, there's a, a good evolutionary theory of depression which suggests it's the thing that you experience when you've been out there, you've, you've failed at too many risks and you've kind of gone away and cocooned yourself a little bit just to kind of say, hey, right, let's just, let's just regroup here. You know, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah like well, a protective that, that didn't work out so well. Let's just regroup. Mm. Um, of course, people get stuck in the regrouping process and we have to drag them back out again. Mm. But a big part of that coming back out of that is to is to learn to take those risks, even if it's just walking out the front door. Mm. But being exposed to the possibility of negative criticism from others and whatever else it is. But um, but again, coming out of things like depression is a big part of taking risks in life. And 
And I suppose if you look at anxiety, it's, it's you know, anxiety is in part driven by an over-perception of threat in the environment. So recognising that, you know, a lot of the things that we find threatening perhaps can be understood in different ways if we were to focus a little more on our on our abilities and, and see things as challenging rather than threatening. Yeah, mm, mm. yeah that that control thing I think is something and certainly in workshops when I'm dealing with clients and I talk about you know the good old kind of circle of influence and circle of concern mm. so mm. the things in life that we can control and, and acknowledging the things in life that we yeah. can't control or do anything yeah. about and, and learning to be okay with yeah. that but I hadn't really thought about it I suppose about you know if we expanding that circle of influence that you know what we can mm. which I think I always say comes down pretty much that we can change how we think and what we do, and that's probably about it, yeah. really. <laughs> when it comes yeah. down to yeah. it, there's not much else yeah. in life we can control. But no, no, seeing that as part of resilience is actually being able to flip that mindset a bit, so that we yeah. see that as where the growth and resilience happens, and and that that's important. Yeah, and I think I think again, you only try and control things you are, are fearful of a lot of the time. And and so if you're not as fearful of the negative outcomes, if the worst case scenario is something that you've, you know, you've thought to yourself, well, can I can I cope with the worst case scenario? And and yeah, you, you know, you've determined that you probably could, even though you wouldn't hope that that would happen. Well, now you don't need to control so much because you you can accept or let that let that be a little bit. Mm. You, you can walk into that situation knowing that even if the worst case scenario was to happen, that you know that you'll, you'll still be okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and recognizing you can't really always control whether or not that, that will happen. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, that's often for me I, when I'm stepping into those uncomfortable situations. I just say, you know, will anybody die? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, I have to deliver yeah. this workshop. I feel underprepared. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what yeah. how it's going to pan out. Yeah. But at the end of the yeah. day, I'm going to walk out. I'll still be alive. Everyone else yeah. is to be alive. It's it's not yeah. that bad. And and look, one of the, one of the things is when you when you do that, and when you actually catch yourself and you, you use that sort of framework, you, you know, it's always much better than what you probably were thinking it might be mm-hmm. without actually thinking about it clearly. You know, mm. Your, mm. your threat sensitivity was building this thing up to be something which was, un, you know, un, unbearable and intolerable, but actually when you think about it, it's probably something to cope with. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it, because that is, it's, it's part of our hard wiring really to have that threat sensitivity. To, to of course, you know, yeah. We're just, dis- I don't know, it's unhelpful, isn't it, really, in so many ways, except I well, suppose it does have a helpful component. Well, no, not not at all. I mean, I mean, if you were to look at, um, you know, if you take the emotion circumflex, which is again the, you know, the, all the emotions that we've evolved to experience, and you know, we've we've sort of managed to, we talk about high arousal and low arousal emotions, and we talk about we talk about positive and negative emotion, which is interesting because actually it's pleasant and unpleasant, not mm. positive and negative, mm. but mm. we've 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 put valence in there somewhere. We've made a judgment about what it what it's like, but even there, we if you were to look at all the positive emotions. And where they where they've got us throughout history, throughout evolutionary history, we probably could largely have done without them. I mean, they certainly probably are good for things like heart disease and things like that. You know, they, they are, it is good to be happy because it does prevent you know other sorts of problems. But actually, the primary the primary emotions, the ones that, that save us in, in the world on a daily basis, the negative ones. You know, if we if we couldn't experience, if we couldn't panic, um, then we would be Ill, ill-equipped to to not only get away from the hungry lion, but perhaps the, the car on the road. You know, mm. and those, that ability to experience those feelings is hugely important for our survival. Um, so sometimes we, we forget that too. So of course we're threat sensitive because that's that's the alarm signal which says, "Hey, your survival is under under threat." You know, we also know that 
that the you know the social rejection that we call it social pain that whole sort of mechanism is is has been has used the physical pain apparatus if you like in the brain because being being rejected from our group again throughout you know evolutionary history as humans was that you know it was like death you mm. wouldn't survive mm. in spana if you weren't part of a group so social rejection failure um, these things they they often feel the same as even physical pain but all of those you know that system is there to alert us to threats and and important threats um, but again, sometimes it gets oversensitized. Yeah, it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because yeah, I, I understand that you know that evolutionarily, if that's a word, <laughs> we need, it is now. <laughs> we need these. You know, we have needed these. We continue to need these in order to keep ourselves mm. safe. Yeah. And yet, when we allow too much emphasis or spend too much time in mm. those, I don't want to use negative, so uncomfortable spaces. Yeah. <laughs> more difficult emotions, yeah. you know, that's not always helping us from a well-being no. perspective. No. So, again, no. it comes back to walking that a bit like we were talking about with the challenge and, and you know, yeah. being exposed to threat and trauma. We can't mm. have too much of it. That's not helpful. No. No. We need some of it. So it's yeah. finding that sweet spot. Yeah, and, and I think well-being actually comes from oscillating between, I mean, and, and anybody will tell you that. I think, you know, it, 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 I'm not sure whether the Barbara Fredrickson's three-to-one ratio is entirely accurate, but the idea is right, mm. you know, that probably we want to spend a fair bit of time on the happy side of the spectrum. It's nice, it's comfortable, it's where we prefer to be, and it's probably healthier to be there too. But, you know, that what's what's often overlooked is that one is really important. You, you can't just have the three. You've mm. got to have that one, and that's a really important part of living in life, and it's an important part of having the three as well, and it's often about moving back and forward between these experiences where well-being and happiness is produced. And happiness isn't just sitting on the positive side of the spectrum all the time. So happiness is actually facilitated by sometimes dipping into that that unpleasantness, that mm. uncomfortable state, um, and, and, then, and then swinging back out, but, but swinging back out of it as well. You know, you, can't, you don't want to get stuck there, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is where, you know, when we look at models of well-being around, you know, there needs to be an element of achievement. So we go back to the, you know, yeah. running the marathon. It, it's really Absolutely. uncomfortable. It hurts. But that sense mm. of achievement is going to contribute to that well-being that we're seeking. Yes. Um, yeah. I guess a little bit like engagement and flow as well, you know, being yeah. we can be engaged in activities that aren't necessarily enjoyable in the moment. But, again, yeah. by doing so, we're still contributing to our well-being. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you get a sense. I mean, I mean our, we, we, you know, our research just yet unpublished suggests that people find meaningful experiences in life, relatively intense experiences. We tend to find more meaning in more intense experiences, but no more the positive ones than the negative ones. In mm -hmm. fact, the, the positivity and negativity of the experience doesn't necessarily dictate whether it's going to be meaningful. It's whether or not it's a fairly intense experience. We tend to find those things meaningful. So, yeah, both sides of life, uh, you know, contribute to things like meaning. Um, mm. and, and purpose and we mm. get that it's hard to think of purpose as facilitated by you know an endless foot massage for example yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. that's true might feel good yeah. but it's not necessarily yeah. going to help you grow or or yeah. yeah really flourish as an individual no no that's right yeah yeah it's interesting you say that because one of the exercises that I do with groups is to get them to think about an experience that they've had in their life that might have been really difficult at yes. the time and yep. then think about, you know, but if I hadn't have gone through that experience, 
what would I have missed out on as a consequence? That's sort of a, a yes. you know, roundabout gratitude type exercise really. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I have these wonderful people who share their stories of, you know, sometimes quite significant traumas really at, at the time yeah. and yet they're still often able to say, but you know what, if I hadn't have done that, then, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have learnt this. I might not have met that person. I wouldn't have moved to this place. I might not have had my children. You know, there's all these other yeah. ways of looking at something exactly. that might have been really, really quite deeply upsetting at the time, but they still yeah. come out of it better. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, well, even if you would have been better off not having that experience in the first place, even if that was the case, it still doesn't mean that looking at it in that way isn't the right way to look at it. Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't think that you have to sort of beat the negative all the time in order to find, you know, to find the positive. It's, mm. it's, it's just, well, that, that experience did happen. Um, I probably would prefer it didn't happen, but it did happen. But what can I find out of it? What can I, what can mm. I pull out of it anyway? Um, so I don't think we have to, you know, I think it's important not to be unrealistic. I, you know, I think, I think sometimes there are definitely things in life we just prefer to never have happened. But, we, you know, we can still draw out those other sides to it as well as yeah. possible. Yeah, a bit of perspective taking. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, Brock, these are a lot of the concepts that you talk about in your book, which is the yeah. other side of happiness. I'll get the subtitle right a more fearless approach to living, which is published yes. by Penguin. Do you have some, you know, I think we've talked about lots of really interesting concepts here, and hopefully our listeners have drawn mm. some good ideas and things that they might like to test and, and try themselves. Yeah. But if you could summarize some tips for them, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I suppose there's there's so many different sorts of ways um, to apply the ideas that, that you know the sort of having specific one-off tips is not something I probably wrote a form down. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, and and people people you know will find ways to apply it. But I think I think overall, you know, again, the the, the tip is to be aware of I think what is a, a social narrative, which is that. You know, happiness is a really valuable state, and that unhappiness is a very unvaluable state, um, and and is equal to failure. And, and again, this, you know, if you look from advertising to social media, really we're surrounded by these messages that that being happy is the place that we all should be. Mm-hmm. And I think being aware of those influences on us, I think those influences are much stronger than we realise, um, and and that that can be as much as you know, I mean, even even certain local cultures, corporate cultures. Mm. Can sometimes overemphasize these these elements, and you know our, our own research has found that when when we when we create a, a microcosm, a sort of microculture, where where people are surrounded by happiness paraphernalia, and we we get them we we give them an impossible experience that they fail on, they ruminate about that a lot more than if they weren't in that that same sort of room, if they didn't have that emphasis on happiness around them. So I think it's, again the cultures we live in influence us, and we need to be aware of that, and and then. Once we've unpacked that and started to to remove the valuation that we place on these positive and negative sides of our emotional life, start to explore what it's like to to experience those those negative those negative sides of things, those negative emotions. Um, you know, what what do they feel like, and what what you know what are they really like once we once we unpack them and start to you know stop evaluating them so heavily. And I think that allows us to to feel a little more able to step into difficult, uncomfortable challenging outside our, our comfort zone sort of experiences in life and maybe to let our children do the same mm. because we know that those experiences are, are things we can cope with and that we, we learn from and that help us to grow and that have another side to them and not just 
negatives that detract from our happiness mm. or detract from our even from our social status. I think sometimes people worry about that. You know, if I if I, if I fail, I'm a failure. Um, and I don't think that's true. Every, everybody who did anything good in this world failed first. So, so rec- just again taking that perspective and then allowing us allowing ourselves to step into that and recognizing that when we do turn around and step into things which might feel threatening, that actually that's the right way to respond to that. And running away from it only makes those experiences feel more threatening. It shuts down that that circumference of influence that we can have in the world because we we effectively get stuck inside that that smaller circle of feeling threatened by things. And so it broadens our, our scope, it broadens our ability to engage in life in a variety of different sorts of ways. So I don't know if that was any if there was any specific tips in there, <laughs> maybe just a perspective. A nice summary. <laughs> yeah. A nice summary. I know. Yeah. Look, I, one of the, the beauties, I think, of being able to talk mm. to the wonderful guests that I have on the podcast is that we can have a conversation and get into a bit of the yeah. nuance and, and some of the complexities because, as you say, you know, there is so much of, I think, traditional media and certainly social media just wants to distill things down into, you know, yeah. the, the tiny little meme or and and yeah. human behaviour is not like that. And when we're talking about concepts like this around emotions yeah. and, and the fact that it's it's a far deeper, broader, yeah. fascinating yeah. but also challenging yeah. topic than, than we can encapsulate into 140 characters or less. Yeah. Well, if, and if we do, I think people, you know, it's, it's hopefully something people take away and, to throw around for their own in their own perspectives, so they can they can take from it what they will and apply it in the ways that it fits. Mm, excellent, Brooke, mm. Thank you very much for a really enjoyable conversation. It's given me some. I kind of feel like I know a bit of this stuff as a psych, but yeah. I, I'm still <laughs> walking away with some new ways of thinking about happiness, emotions, the challenges, mm. resilience, and the importance of feeling those full array of things for our so yeah. it's going to help me as a parent and also as a person and hopefully as a psychologist too. So thank you for that. Oh, no problem. I will put links to the article that I mentioned at the top of this interview in Psychology Today in our show notes. I'll also put a link to your book, which is The Other Side of Happiness, right. A More Fearless Approach to Living. And I will also, if there's any other bits and pieces that we've mentioned that I can't think of off the top of my head, but I will put all of the details of that into notes as well as well as ways to contact you and to find your your own website which is brockbastian.com yeah yeah put that in there as well so people can follow your and and your research so your yet to be published research that you mentioned before so they'll be able to be right on top of that as soon as it does that's right (laughs) that's right (laughs) excellent thank you again i really do appreciate your time thank you for having me on appreciate it Thank you for listening to that great conversation with Associate Professor Brock Bastian about resilience and emotions and thinking about difficult emotions and experiences, not the really challenging or overwhelming ones, but the uncomfortable ones, and perhaps sometimes those feelings of failure or struggle as an important means of building our resilience as the place where growth comes from. And we have put the links to Brock's website, his research, and his great book, The Other Side of Happiness, Embracing a More Fearless Approach to Living, in the show notes for this episode. And you can find those at potential.com.au forward slash podcast. And there you'll also find a guest profile sheet for Brock, which tells you a little bit more about him and includes his tips for enhancing resilience. 
And while you're visiting the Potential Psychology website, have you given us a rating or review in iTunes? I'd love it if you could. It really is a simple process. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes for each and every one of our episodes directly to the place on iTunes where you leave a review. So if you're on the website, that would be a great way to do it. If you're on your phone, you can either link through to the show notes from there, or if you're using the Apple Podcasts app, just scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll see some stars and a link to write a review. And thank you because I do read and very much appreciate every review and it makes it easier for our podcast to be found. And that means more people are hearing from our experts and together we're helping more people to thrive, flourish and fulfill their potential. And if you haven't already, you might also like to subscribe to our newsletter, which hits your inbox every week or two, sorry, every two weeks or two, every fortnight for those of whom the word fortnight is familiar. Apparently it's not a word we use everywhere in the world. In our newsletter, we provide you links to the recent podcast episodes. We tell you a bit about what's coming up next. And we also tell you a bit about what's happening here at Potential HQ because there's so much more than the podcast. So you get a little bit of insight into that. And also tips, links, resources and information about what's happening more generally within the world of positive psychology. And there is some big stuff happening in 2019. So now that we're into the swing of season five, what do we have in store for next week? Well, I will be talking to a wonderful Australian psychologist, Dr. Jodie Fleming. And it's a little bit of a different interview because this is a conversation about her personal story of thriving through cancer. And she recently published a memoir, which is titled A Hole in My Genes, G-E-N-E-S, which I read in a weekend and thoroughly enjoyed. And if that sounds completely bonkers, that you could thoroughly enjoy someone's story of cancer, you will just have to listen in and meet Jodie and hear directly from her, and then it will all make sense. So here's Jodie to tell you a little bit more. I'm one of those annoying people that really sees that the whole cancer experience is a real gift for me. And I remember, well, the first client I ever had who was diagnosed with breast cancer and she only lived 10 months after her diagnosis. And she said to me at the end, I saw her probably two days before she died. And she said at that appointment, I would rather have lived my life the way I have for the last 10 months than have lived until I was 80 living the way I had before. And these are the people that really taught me how to get through this. And and I completely concur with her perspective on that. And that's certainly how I feel about the way I live life now. That's next week on the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm so glad to be back in your ears and I'm looking forward to chatting to you again then. Have an excellent week.